Blog Talk Radio. Morning, afternoon, or evening, and welcome to Hope for Today. My name is Naja E. Brown, your host, and we thank you for your support and participation. Hope for Today is an outreach program of Yield to the King Ministry, and our hope and prayer for our listening audience all over the world is that you hear something that is encouraging, life-altering, or prompting you to study the Word of God. We welcome your comments anytime, and you can reach us through our website at yieldtothekingministry.org. Well, welcome to today's episode entitled Restorative Connections, Healing for Communities and Families. And I normally read the promotional material, and so I'm going to do that just to lay the foundation for us today. Society suggests that living a fragmented life from family and community is the norm. Today, more than ever, the differences, untruths, fear, and ignorance tear our families, communities, and nation apart. Restoration is needed to achieve healing, harmony, and unity. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 10, this is the New International Version, says, And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. And I am so delighted to let you know that we have a special guest in our audience, in our studio today, excuse me, in our studio, and that is Angela M. Davis. Let me share a little bit about Miss Davis. Angela Davis is a Seattle native who grew up and lived in Seattle. So Seattle's in the Pacific Northwest and it's in Washington State and we're right under British Columbia, Canada. She was reared by both her mother and grandmother. She attended Seattle Public Schools and Seattle University. Angela has three adult children and is a survivor of rape, domestic violence, and losing her mother to suicide at the age of 12. Healing and restoration have been an integral part of Angela's life journey, both personally and professionally. Because of her lived experiences, she is a community advocate, collaborator, visionary, consultant, and she is very, very passionate about God's healing power, mercy, and grace. And with that, let's welcome Angela to Hope for Today, Restorative Connections, Healing for Communities and Family. Angela, welcome, and I'll let you say something to our listening audience. Thank you so much for that warm welcome. Good evening, good morning, good afternoon, wherever you may be, everyone. It's so great to be able to be in communication with each of you and looking forward to our time together. Amen. Amen. Well, your bio, I loved reading your bio. You know, it's always an opportunity for me to get to know someone who I thought I know or think I know a little bit more when I read their bio. So thank you for providing me with that information. 
So we know a little bit about your background. We know that at least you were uh, you grew up and lived in Seattle. But can you tell us a little bit more, maybe about your family of origin and maybe who was your greatest influence when growing up, etc. We'll leave it up to you to share what you want. Well, you know, it's it's really interesting. You know, um, society has um, given us these labels according to, like, what year you were born and all of that. And I was born in the 60s, and people say, you know, oh, you're a baby boomer. Um, and I personally would like them to come up with another category because I grew up, <laughs> okay. you, know, you know, with Martin Luther King and, you know, Motown, and and that's a whole, in the civil rights era, those were like my foundational identity to, you know, the world that we're in, you know, and mm-hmm. it's, so, it's just really an interesting perspective. And so when people um, talk about, oh, I'm a baby boomer, I don't identify um directly with the families who have loved ones that have come home from the war and had families and reunited. I am more, you know, in relationship to the understanding of the political unrest about, you know, um, egalitarian and equality in education and finding our identity and who we are in this country and, and James Brown and Say it loud, I'm black and I'm proud. You know, that's a little <laughs> okay. bit about how I grew up, you know, um, in a time where, you know, we were the generation where we physically had to do everything in order to acquire everything in our lives. We physic- mm. I physically had to go cook. I physically had to go do things in any manner of accomplishment in life. And Mm -hmm. um, just recognizing that that's a whole um, unique thought process um, in how we um, coexist in the world today. Yes, yes. You know, you're funny you brought up Motown because just the other day, I think it was Saturday, the days are kind of running together after the uh, Thanksgiving holiday break. I think it was Saturday. I was listening to one of my Pandora stations, and it was the Motown station. And I think the the, the era was from sixty to seventy two. I think I think that those are the years that I saw. But anyway, it was all the music that we grew up with that was very good music. You know, the musicians were good, the singers were good. I mean, just uh, everything. The writers were good. And I remember saying to myself, "Gosh, I miss that music. I miss that music." So the fact that you mentioned that that was a part of your upbringing, I can relate to that. I can relate to that. Yeah. Yes, I can. Right. Yes, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, your bio said, uh, and I'll give you an opportunity to talk a little bit more about this, said that you met Jesus Christ at age eight. So I would love to hear, just given what you've shared with us, you know, who introduced you to him, and what was that community like? What was that community like for you at age nine? Well, you know, it's really interesting. You know, um, I didn't grow up in, you know, this um, this environment where, you know, you know, everybody went to church on Sunday. I mean, there was God. There was a God presence. But um, in my home, 
but in the community, um, there was this place called the Union Gospel Mission around the corner um, from my childhood home. And we would go there and we would learn Bible scriptures um, and memorize them. And then they would give us incentives, you know, by providing us with, you know, candy or whatever, you know, of that popularity for that. And then every year we would go to this Christian camp. It was called Camp Sambica. And it was on the east side of um, the county. And it was wonderful. It was like going to a whole nother world. Um, This camp, you know, it had horseback riding and canoeing. I water skied for the first time, trampoline. I mean, it was a wonderful experience for me. Um, Uh We did so many fun things. The cabin had a a competition about... um, during the time that we were there, um, before and after our meals, we would line up and that they would see whose cabin was the cleanest and all of that. And at the end of the camp, we would all have um, an opportunity to see who won. And then they would provide us with, uh-huh. you know, whatever that winnings was. And our cabin was one of the cleanest cabins. And we ended okay. up with the largest ice cream float in the world that I had ever seen. Um, (laughs) Back then, I didn't know that it was a horse. I didn't know it was the horse's feeding trough thing that they were putting this long ice cream float in with ice cream sundae. Oh, oh my. Okay. Right. It was that much ice cream, and it was that much, you know, bananas and sprinkles and all of that for the whole team, right? Well, at that camp, we had our cabin, and I'll never forget the cabin. It was named Cherokee, and that cabin hmm. was um, where I accepted Christ at the age of nine. I remember, you hmm. know, I don't remember her name, but I remember she had long, dark hair, you know, and um, I just remember her saying to you, accept Christ in your heart. And I remember that that moment. Um, and I remember, you know, coming home with a new excitement. Something happened to me. Mm-hmm. Something changed. Mm-hmm. 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 You know, mm-hmm. At the age of nine. At the age of nine. And so when, when you went home, uh, were you able to to share with your household what had happened uh, and and how did you communicate what you were feeling and what you experienced in uh in this in at this camp well you know actually it wasn't it it turned out to be something else you know the bible says all things works for the good of those that love god and then are called according to his purpose and uh-huh. you know I was so excited, you know, the the was the Union Gospel Mission was around the corner. I remember running home, just waiting to come home and I go to find out that um the door was locked. This was the first time in my life where when I came home the door was locked. And in actuality, uh my mother got married while I was at camp. And really? I'm like, how can how can that how can this nine year old jubilant exciting child that just received Christ 
um, come home to find out that um, her mother got married uh, uh-huh. while she was at camp. And so, you know, hmm. my my relationship with Christ and what that really meant and how it really led to us talking today is is a uh-huh. testament uh-huh. to the beauty of God's love and God's healing power and all of those things. Um, yes. During that during that year um, of me receiving Christ, um, um, my stepfather raped me. And um, oh. that how can how can how can the power and the awesomeness of accepting Christ coexist in a world where someone could do something as horrific and heinous as that to a nine year old little girl? And mm-hmm. um, and to mm-hmm. continually recognize that God is still God, you know. But I yeah. clung to I clung to those songs that I learned, you know at the Union Gospel Mission, you know, uh-huh. uh, you know, uh-huh. just just recognizing that God, it only takes a spark to get God's love going, and soon all those around can warm up to his glowing. That's how it is with God's love. You know, that was a uh-huh. song that I learned at that Christian camp, you know what I'm saying? And so uh-huh. when the horror of God provided in that environment, I wouldn't say that it was God that did that, but I do know that God equips us for the things that he pre- predestines for us in our lives that we have no comprehension for. And the recognizing mm-hmm. that God's mercy and grace and love sustains us irregardless of whatever horror or whatever incomprehensible act, his love is ever-present. Ah yes, that is uh, that is such a profound reality and truth. But oftentimes, it's difficult to grasp. And coming from you, someone who has experienced something but was still able to hang on to what you knew about who God is, even as a child, as a nine-year-old. It's just uh, it, it's it's mind blowing and it's encouraging at the same time, at the same time, yeah. So, Angela, as a survivor of rape, domestic violence, and losing your mother to suicide at age twelve, what major obstacles did you face and overcome in life? So you shared a little bit about how you, that foundation that was laid for you and that exposure and that experience as a child, as an innocent child at nine years old, how that was your beginning relationship with Christ. But what major obstacles did you face and overcome in life? Well, I think one of the things, one of the major obstacles that I I found that I was dealing with down through the years was comprehending God's love and also being able to understand that God's creations are at various levels of understanding of God's love and how God's Uh love manifests in the world that we're in today. One of the main, uh, one of the major obstacles that I found was you know, people understanding that when people go through trauma and how God's uh-huh. healing power um, is, is, is demonstrated 
and how we who profess God's love, how it shows up. And one of my mm-hmm. obstacles that I found was that there was a disconnect in in the community of understanding how to have an empathetic, compassionate love for someone that is healing from a traumatic life experience. And um, being able to to recognize that um, at the time there was this contradiction. Um, God uh-huh. is love, God is a healer, God is a redeemer, but how do we how do we show that love? We don't, you know, mm-hmm. I, I found um, being um, judged, misunderstood, ostracized, being mm-hmm. alienated, you know, from the very community that were singing God's praises to the most eloquent way that you could ever begin to imagine. Um, um, mm-hmm. To me, that was a major obstacle in understanding because the church has been primarily the place in the in the black community was professed to be the hospital. And if, if you're supposed to go to the hospital, you're supposed to be going there with the hope that the people are qualified or 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 doing what they know to how to help. But the recognition mm-hmm. and the understanding that people's understanding is only to the depth of where God reveals the love and to the depth of where God is revealing his mercy in the person. Um, and how do I continually love and be empathetic and compassionate for the person that committed the harm and the person that is yet striving for healing and peace and love in God? And so those are some mm-hmm. of the major obstacles in recognizing that, you know, hurting people hurt people, healed people heal heal people, and people that are in their process of healing on their journey of healing they can hurt uh-huh. and heal. They can be uh-huh. a duality of things until the, uh-huh. rev- the the balance of the perfect peace that we seek in God is resonating in their heart. And I felt that that's one of the major obstacles um, that I, you know, have um, dealt with and continue to, uh-huh. you know, ask God to, to season what I say and, and continually leading guide, you know, that I hear what God is singing with people that God placed in my life. Mhm, mhm. You know, you mentioned that uh, the, the the church has has served and is many things to many people, but yeah, specifically in the black community, it has been a place where you can go and and be accepted and welcomed and so on and so forth. At least that's what we've been. Sh- taught, right? Some people experience that. Some people have shown that. Some people taught that and lived that. But it's also a refuge. Mm -hmm. You know, if we go back in our Mm -hmm. history and think about when it was allowed for those who were enslaved to congregate and come together, uh, it Mm -hmm. was usually uh, around some sort of worship or church, you know, uh, experience, worship service or whatever. And then hence the reason that they were able to get away with, I'm saying they, meaning the enslaved people were able to get away with many different ways to escape and, and so on and so forth because they had to do all of this in secret. But when you talk right. about, um, when you talk about the church serving for many different things and being different things, Black 
families normally don't talk about incest and rape right. and right. things of those natures. Those, those are things that are kind of shoved, you know, uh, under the, the carpet, you know, and so we're all walking over these lumps and bumps and humps, right? So mm-hmm. when you say that people lack the compassion and the love when they know these sorts of things about someone, how did you end up retelling your story or your uh, giving your um, history to the people that were in a, a, a church setting for you? Or did you? Maybe my question is, is that where you began to tell your story was amongst believers in in the church is is that where it started well you know that's an interesting question you know because yes the church is to be the 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 connecting place it's supposed to be the anchor and the source of identity and cohesiveness and and community mm-hmm. um but also um I think, you know, in 2022, soon to be 2023, I think that dialogue and communication about these quote-unquote secret conversations are changing. But as far as Uh my journey, um, being able to share what has occurred, um, it was not welcomed. It was not, it was, Ah. you know, people judging me for being transparent and speaking my truth. Um, mm. or, or a lot of times people being um, ill-equipped to know how to handle this truth of this horror, uh-huh. of this reality. Uh-huh. You know what uh-huh. I'm saying? Um, that there people people care i'm not going to say that there is no caring people do care people do have love but how do you handle someone telling a truth such as this and they're in your face and they're speaking this truth this man raped me yes. this man yes. cut my mom's throat this man did these things and there are kids today that are struggling with trying to comprehend these unsafe truths that happen in their world and trying to make a sense of it. And, you Mm -hmm. know, um, my being able to tell these truths a lot of times ended up with me being ostracized, ended up with me being the sermon of my lack of faith, ended up being a Mm. lot of the conversation for people to um, utilize um, as something to make themselves look better at the expense of my pain. But at the Mm. end of the day, Mm -hmm. God's word is always true. And God's love reigns supreme, even when people are doing things they have yet to be comprehensive of what they're doing. So those are yeah. some of the ways that I did. So when I shared it, but eventually as time went on, um, then I started finding other people that have gone uh-huh. through similar things. And uh-huh. we strive to find healing. We struggle to find yes. restoration. We struggle to find, mm. you know, places and spaces. And um, 
that's the continuity and the cohesiveness of bridging um, the mental, the medical, the psychological um, in connection to God's mercy, love, and grace. How do we do that? Mm -hmm. You know, um, Mm -hmm. when in existence in humanity, we are mind, body, soul, and spirit. And so Mm -hmm. to go to church and to praise God and to sing his praises, to read his scripture, to come and tell someone we love them, how do we love them? How do we love them through their pain? How do we love them to the healing side so that that experience does not make them bitter so that they don't perpetuate that pain onto someone else and take that Mm -hmm. and use it Mm -hmm. for something that will um, glorify or or transform the society into something that God, you know, designed us to become. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, yes. You said something very interesting. Hurt people hurt people and healing heal people, healing people heal people. So it's all about the healing and I would suspect that being able to talk about it and process it, you know, this this trauma, whatever the experiences are, is freeing. It's gotta it's 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 because we're kind of taught to suppress that, right? If we come up, we've been mm-hmm. reared in a family where you just don't talk about these things, and oh, that's just that's just how uncle is. That's just how you know you know you know you know how what we've heard mm-hmm. and 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 what mm-hmm. we've seen. But to be able to 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 talk about it, it seems like it would just be freeing for the person who has been victimized. It just you know, and I, and and I'm gonna and I'm gonna use my statement as a segue to go into this next area that I would love for you to talk more about because as a survivor of rape and domestic violence and losing your mom to suicide at age twelve those experiences that you've had and what you've just shared with us has allowed you to be used by God as an instrument to provide people with the space. You just said that you didn't have the space in the church like you thought you should have, but it provides, you provide people with the space and the tools they need to live a transformed life through God's manifested power. And I believe I can Mm -hmm. take this liberty to say that it's a calling uh, because I have Mm -hmm. seen you in action. But can you tell us about Community Connections Seattle Unlimited and how you are serving others through restorative circles? Yes, you know, um, the name, um, people, when they hear the name of the organization, they're like, why is it so long and all of those things. But each word is deliberate. Each word is specific. Each each part of it, an individual cohesiveness to God's power. Community, Mm -hmm. meaning that we are each connected to one another. Connected, we are all connected to God because God breathed life into us connected to to his love, mercy, and grace, and unlimited Mm -hmm. because the spirit of God is the infinite power of healing and restoration. Mm. We, each individual, can be subject to be imbalanced in any way, but anything that is tapped into or directly connected to God is the healing force, and that is why the name is Community Connections Seattle Unlimited. 
and the ability to have and provide spaces and places where people can be either a person that has been a part of an experience or whether we are Mm -hmm. actually people that want to be the conduits of God by being able Mm -hmm. to support people, by just listening. Because sometimes people just want to say what's going on. And some people want to Mm -hmm. know that there is empathy in the world. People want to know that there is compassion in the world. And um, being Mm -hmm. able to provide spaces and places, and it is a little bit, it is similar it is similar to the 12 step program in that it is a cohesiveness of community and loving and compassion and understanding um the distinction being that it is god that is continually leading and guiding the actual experience of why and what it is that is being done and um mm. Restorative circles and um, healing practices and all of those things, they are not new. They have been in um, indigenous cultures for centuries. Um, Uh We are re-implementing them in this individualistic way that we compartmentalize everything. So we are integrating the ever-present being that we show up in by normalizing healing spaces in the world that we coexist in. And that is the strategy, mm-hmm. that is the purpose, that is the passion, and that is the reason. And a lot of times when we have conversations, you know, we, we see people, sometimes we haven't seen people in a long time, and we're like, how are you doing? How's everything going? You know, and a lot of times we don't take the time to slow down to hear what mm-hmm. somebody is saying. We're hearing them, mm-hmm. but we're hearing them in a way that we're waiting to figure out what we're going to say next. And healing circles right. are a way right. to slow conversation down so that we can truly hear on a deeper level what the person is saying from their heart and how that mm. transforms what is going on, not only within the individual, but how we co create a more humane society in which we're in. Mm. So there's a greater good about all of this. Not only that the people who are involved in the restorative circles, certainly there is a personal gain for them, but the greater good is that this this experience and this transformation will permeate and end up becoming a part of the bigger society as individuals go out and and they're in a healing process. Is that is that a correct assessment? Yeah, it's 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 a similar. It's it's kind of that way. Um, I can uh, let's say um, right now um, there are various people that are working on integrating um, restorative circles in the in the school setting. Okay. In the okay. Seattle school mm-hmm. setting, there are school settings that are utilizing this process in order to, you know, um, develop a healthier social-emotional climate. Um, okay. In order to be able to develop a way that we can take disconnects and make connections in relationship 
and in community. Mm-hmm. That's one example. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's a, um, a video called The Prison Within that people can mm-hmm. check out. And um, that is where people have taken a restorative circle process in prison and have utilized that mm-hmm. to be able to provide healing circles for people that have committed crimes and be able for them to unpack those layers of their internal onion um, and Mm -hmm. utilize that as a transformative power, whether they are reintegrated into society or whether they're not. But the ability to sit down and take time to be in communication with people releases the ability for God's healing power to come in. Mm. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm. Wow. Yes. But it's been around for centuries, so it's not a new phenomenon. It's not a new uh method by which to uh to connect people. It's been around for a while. I wonder what has taken it so long to to to, to just be become common or the norm. Do you know what I mean? Yes, yes. It's it's still in transition of being common. It's still in transition. Um, I would compare it to when cell phones first came out. Mm-hmm. We all didn't have mm-hmm. a clue what to do. What do you mean? What? Right. Can you imagine when we, imagine when we all first had cell phones? What yeah. do you mean you got a phone yeah. that you carry in your pocket and right. you take it everywhere right. and you answer it? And now here we right. are in 2023 and an infant knows how to swipe a phone. Yes. And so yes. when we're looking yes. at normalizing restorative circles, I think that that's kind of like the journey and the transition of what it is that we're doing in various ways. You know, we go to the doctor, we see the eye doctor for our eyes, we see the dentist for our teeth, but as we walk around in humanity, we use all of those processes. And I think that Mm -hmm. the healing circle, restorative circle model and normalizing it and integrating it, you know, into um, the society that we're in, it's very timely. It's very timely. You know, we have young people Mm -hmm. that are not um, being able to be safe because we don't know what's going on in somebody's life. We have no idea. And I'm not saying that healing circles are the fix-all that solve all, but if taking, you know, time to hear somebody out is going to release that pressure so that social-emotional regulation can take place, um, because we took time to sit down and listen um, uh-huh. versus uh-huh. sit in a row and do what I say because I told you that we're here to teach and we're here to learn ABCs when we need to deal with what's going on internally so that people can be ready to learn and people can be ready to heal. Uh-huh. You know, that's how we're uh-huh. trying to reintegrate this because um, indigenous cultures have been doing restorative circle practices all over the globe. And mm. um, that is part of what and so we're we're re we're putting it back into a society that has a linear 
thought process when in actuality mm-hmm. we are an integrated existence existence. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, this can get kind of deep, huh? This is this is yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> this, is, this is this is good. So, you, what is your vision for Community Connections Seattle Unlimited? What is your vision? So, uh, I I saw one of your circles in in um, in operation. I was able to mm-hmm. uh, be attend, and I I was very impressed. And I think I shared that with you. Very impressed, and just. I had no idea what I was getting into. I had no idea. I went with, without any expectations or not, but I could see you have a knack and you have a way, a gift of just drawing people in and allowing them to express themselves. And so here, mm-hmm. here we're talking about the space and then the tools and so that they, are, they, so that they can share whatever, is, that they, whatever they've experienced without, you know, the, the fear of, of judgment or... Uh, you know, someone not really giving them a listening ear. I was just absolutely taken aback. And so I just want to thank you for the work that you're doing. But what is your vision? So you founded Community Connection Seattle Unlimited. Tell us a little bit about when you founded it and what your vision is in in the years to come. Well, I've been been a part of restorative circle work in various ways within um, some phenomenal people that have been doing restorative circles for years, um, ever since 2012. Um, Community Connection Seattle Unlimited was formed um, as a as a um, entity um, a year ago in August, and um, my vision is to normalize restorative circles to have. Rest- identifiable uh, restorative beacons in every community. Um, If a city can have, such as Seattle, can have five police precincts in one city, why can't we have a restorative beacon in a community to be able to provide Mm -hmm. a normal way of healing and restoring um, as a coexistence of society? That's one goal. And the goal is to um, provide... um, organically ways that young people can develop their own way. You know, for example, you know, our parents used to buy our clothes, and then at some point we began to learn how to express our own selves. Um, Uh And in that similar concept, you know, as far as restorative circles and and normalizing the coexistence of, of restorative beacons, I would, my vision would be that young people or the next generation or the current generations would be able to utilize it as a way of transforming humanity globally, mm. nationally, and internationally mm-hmm. um, into mm. this collective understanding that we are all integrated. Um, my vision would be to recognize that each of us, very much like a tree that we see on any street, we see a tree standing and that tree appears to be standing alone. But even scientific proof can tell you that underneath all that topsoil, those roots are all interconnected for that tree to thrive. Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. is my vision. Restorative circles would be an integral part of how we all begin to, you know, um, thrive um, in humanity, even if we are uniquely mm-hmm. different. Yes. 
Yes, yes. Now you said it's timely. This the, the this this transition of uh, restorative circles is 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 timely. What makes you say that it's timely today, right now? What what makes you say that? Well, I say that because I know that there are people that are in various professions and various um, occupations that Uh see the value, that see the significance, see it as a way of potentially taking, you know, the things that are not good. I want to uphold the good in everything. And in every thing, mm-hmm. there is a purpose. I mean, there is a purpose to having a court. There is a purpose to having, you know, officers, or there is a purpose in having, you know, a hospital where we're sick. Um, but in order to be able to um, interconnectively deal with things, um, there, there, there are judges, there are people that are, Uh, prosecutors, there are people that are in the judicial system, there are people that are in the mental health field, Um, there are people that Mm -hmm. are in all of these different disciplines that would have, you know, maybe just, just, just come over here to this piece, go see your psychotherapist or, or go see your counselor or, or I'm going to call the police on that person and lock that person up without actually being able to be in community. I'm not pro- I'm not a proponent of, you know, putting people in harm's way. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is uh-huh. that it's timely because each of these different um, pieces that seem to be separate are seeing that we need to be able to do something different and in, in, in a way that honors humanity and the, humani- the humane ah. way that we need to coexist. Mm, mm, beautiful, beautiful, yes, beautiful. You know, uh, I, I think of Psalm 133 and 1, uh, New International Version, that says how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Uh, there, mm-hmm. there, there, there's something to that. And when we talk about timeliness, you're talking about all the different ancillary uh, groups and professions that uh, that feed into the same situation separately, but they we should become more connected. I uh, mm-hmm. I just you know I also just see that there's so many other types of fractions in our society, in in our in our in our world, you know, uh, globally. There's so many fractions. Everything is just separated and disconnected in ways that are so harmful. And, and painful, and it, it, to, to the detriment of uh, what God, uh, you know, would 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 have and purpose for all of us. But we know that His mm-hmm. His will will prevail. We know that His will will prevail. So, Angela, mm-hmm. you know, we are almost out of time. Didn't this forty five minutes go quickly? I just want to ask oh, you: yeah. Is there a I, it just it just goes by so quickly. But what words of encouragement yeah, yeah. would you offer to our listening audience? Uh, words of encouragement. What would you what would you say to our listening audience? I would say one of the things you know there was a 
Um, there is no pit. Corey Timboom was a survivor of the concentration camps, and I like to say that whenever something seems horrific. And I would say there is no pit, whether it's an emotional pit, psychological pit, or anything that God is not deeper still. There is nothing Mm -hmm. that God cannot reach into that area of whatever the depth of that thing is that God cannot reach in and do something transformative for the um, betterment of that situation. That is something that Mm. I um, hold on to quite frequently. Mm -hmm. You've hung on to that. Yeah, those are good, wise words. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, I am so sorry this is going to come to an end, but I know that I would love to have you come back and just share with us the progress of Community Connections Seattle Unlimited. And with that, let me just say, may God bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you and give you peace. We'll talk again in a couple of weeks. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Angela. (laughs) Thank you. Blessings to each and every one. Thank you. Thank you.